Welcome back to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, Rick here from an empty uh, broadcast plaza and teleport. The quarantine continues. Uh, I want uh, the guys that are watching that are normally here on a regular basis on the Wednesday Bible Study. Hey, man, I miss you. Uh, for those uh, around the country or those of you that cannot make it here to the studio, uh, your situation, the only thing that has changed uh, for you, if you're watching on, uh, on our YouTube channel, uh, is uh, you know what you see. Uh, I'm sitting in a different chair. Uh, not standing for you uh, if you're listening on the podcast archives and it's audio only nothing has really changed for you other than the world that we are now living in you know i, I feel like this we go through you know th this this period of time with the pandemic and all the uncertainty and anxiety sometimes that comes with this is we'll start the lessons over the next few weeks you know and give you a little something out of the word of god that, that deals with the current situation that we're in and then of course we'll transition into our ongoing study through the Gospel of John. And even in the Gospel of John, there'll be things that obviously will apply uh, to our situation that we find ourselves in today as well. But I just want to take you, as, as we get started, and ask the question, how you doing? And this will be something that will challenge us a little bit, but it's something that we all need to consider, and that is something uh, that you've heard me refer to many times, many times, uh, in our Bible studies. You know, one of the things that, uh, that my wife and I went through when, we had the earthly death of our youngest son. You know, my wife spent five years going through Scripture and all of us in prayer, and we're watching the things that God was showing us uh, that, that, that were taking place through, through pain and suffering, uncertainty and, and anguish and, uh, and, and mourning. And if you've never read my wife's book, Bronner, A Journey to Understand, man, it's a good time to do that now, and there's a great Bible study at the end of that. If you prefer an audio book, you know, her book is now available uh, audio for, uh, form, and, and it's her narrating the book herself. It's powerful. Wherever audio books are sold, you can get it there. But, but one of the things that, uh, that, that you know, we found out uh, on where God is, you know, I love the statement my wife, my wife makes. You know, people say, where is God in times of despair? And the answer is right in the middle of it. Uh, and then you start getting, to, getting into, well, why did these things happen and I remember one of the things that our pastor said to us going through, and you can apply this to any time of uncertainty or pain and suffering that you've, you've been through, is that there were things that we've seen accomplished over the last 12 years that frankly were not going to be accomplished any other way. Now, did that mean that since that big tragic event in our life, uh, that calamity, does that mean that, man, our life's been smooth sailing since then? No, we, we've had other things that, uh, that we have struggled with and continue to struggle with. The situation we're in now is a struggle for, ev uh, for everybody, not just some, but for everybody to different degrees, but to everybody. So, so what does the Bible say uh, about times like these? It actually says quite a bit, and we won't have time to get into all of it today, but a lot of you heard me reference this, these verses before, and, and I'll tell you why. It's because I cling to them to remember, to remember this, and that is 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and this is what Peter says. In this you rejoice, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Hang on to those words. And some of you heard me go through this before, but I think we need a review during this time. Um, and it says you have been grieved by various trials. I mean, we have sickness, we have death, we have loss of income, we have loss of your vocation. Uh, we have businesses collapsing on themselves that, that may never return. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to be changing 
by the time we get to the other side of this. So you've been grieved by various trials. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. To test the genuineness of your faith. So why is this happening? Well, there's, there's a lot of things we could point to, but I can tell you one that the Bible clearly points to, and that is for those of us that claim to be redeemed, we're going to talk about the power of that today in our study of John, we claim that we belong to Jesus, we claim that we have repented of our sins, we claim that we've submitted to the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we claim that we've been made a new creation, and we claim that we continue now to be sanctified, and we, we work out the, our salvation and growing in holiness and, and sanctification because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, which we will cover clearly today. We, we claim that, but situations like this usually are an indicator on whether that's really true or not. So I guess my challenge to you that are watching this and, and listening to this, coming from nowhere else other than just being your brother in Christ, from, I'm coming from nowhere else because I'm asking myself this same question. How are you doing on the test? Are you passing it? In this you rejoice. Why, why do we re rejoice? Because we know that our real problem has been resolved. And why are we beginning to rejoice about this? Re we are rejoicing because when we go through uh, various trials and we've been grieved by trials and we've been, we've been grieved by uncertainty and the whole world is looking around, if, if you get to the point to where we're supposed to be, and Jesus talking to me, all right, everything I'm saying goes to me first and then out to, to everybody else, and you apply it wherever it hits. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you or, or show you some areas you need to work on and show me areas I need to work on. But I really see Peter telling us to rejoice in times like this because we know opportunity abounds, and we're looking, as I said last week, for what God is teaching us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, don't miss these two words, if necessary. If necessary. That means the things I've been through in my life, the things I'm going through in my life, certainly some of those are the result, the result of my decisions. But then there's those things that, that God has allowed. Why? He's allowed it because he thinks it's necessary. For me to be refined, he talks about, you know, that, that we're, your, our faith is going to be refined by fire, uh, he's saying, now, you know, gold, when it's refined by fire, it perishes. Gold cannot handle fire. If you read on through the rest of verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, but maybe our faith will pass this test of refinement, and it will actually result at the revelation and the glorification and the praise of Jesus Christ. So, Rick, why are we in the middle of this? Because God has deemed it necessary. For what? We'll see but it certainly has been named for something. Testing of the faith, we know that's going on because the Bible says that. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves in the midst of all this right now is, how are you doing? How am I doing? Are people looking at us and saying, well, they're responding to this the same way that people who don't have any faith are responding. That, By the way, that would be failing the test. Uh, last week we talked about don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't have a spirit of fear. Well, if you are anxious and you have a spirit of fear, you're not passing the test. Because ultimately, our, our biggest problem has been resolved. And one of the things my wife loves to say, 
uh, talking about Revelation 21, is this is not the way it's always going to be. We know that all this is going to be resolved. And, uh, and, and I want you to cling to that on the hope, but at the same time, I want you to be looking for, for the things that are being tested in your life as I look for the things that are being tested in my life. And ultimately, these verses say that in the midst of a trial, God's trying to see whether you're the real deal or not. He doesn't tempt us, but he absolutely tests us. So let's pray and get into the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you for today. I say a special prayer right now, Lord, for all the men that are normally here in the room, wherever they may be. I pray, Lord, for those who are hurting, for those that are sick. I pray for those that uh, are not sure if their job is going to remain after this is over. Uh, they may have lost their job temporarily, uh, and it may be that they've lost this job uh, completely when we get on the other side. I pray for the business owners that their businesses have already been destroyed, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. I pray for all the different things that are going on. I, I pray for my family individually and the, the hardships this has brought on them and, and, and the way some of them make a living. And, and, of course, I'm thankful, though, for the time together that we haven't had in a long time. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, that this will be a refinement period uh, that when we get on the other side of it, we can actually find a way to rejoice in the things that we've learned and the things that we've been taught and, and the maturation of our faith through all this that our faith didn't back up. It just got stronger because you forced us to be totally dependent on you because you're doing things that we can't control. And I pray for wisdom for our, the president. I pray for wisdom uh, for Congress. Uh, I pray for those that uh, they have to make very difficult decisions about this country uh, and, and the, the, the death of the economy versus uh, the death of the citizens of this country. I pray for those all around the world that are struggling with this and in places that uh, don't have the blessings that we have to take on something like this. I pray for those that uh, work in the medical field and uh, how tired they must be, how hard they're working to use the gifts that you, you're giving them to find an answer to all of this. May you be with them, Lord. And I pray that you give them energy when they need it and can't seem to find it. And I pray, Lord, that you will show mercy to the world as you have so many times. But we do pray that you not release us from this until you've accomplished what you want to accomplish. Maybe our country uh, sees, has, has been humbled. Uh, maybe all of us as individuals uh, had taken the blessings you've given us for granted. We don't anymore. Those of us that say we're going to spend more time with our family and we say we're going to disciple our children, or if we're men, we say we're going to you know, be the spiritual leader of our homes, and we haven't done that, but you forced us to do so. We celebrate those things. Take us through this time in your word today, Jesus. I pray a special prayer uh, for Andy Blanks and those with YM360, our partners, who will be providing youthgrouphome.com uh, tonight as they try to provide uh, Wednesday night gatherings for those that can't get to those right now. And I pray that you be with Andy as he brings that message tonight, Lord. And we thank you for the technology that we can still meet. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're continuing the Gospel of John. A couple of things before we get in there. You need a little more volume? A little more volume, yeah. Right, a little more volume, okay. Uh, Adler's giving me a little more volume. He did his thing. Is that good right there? Perfect. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the Gospel of John. So we're jumping in, uh, finishing, um, trying to go through the rest of, of chapter 16 today. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, and for those of you that may be watching uh, at home and spending time together, it's good for you guys to get to do this uh, at home for a change. Uh, so glad that you're here with us. Um, maybe you're a first-timer. 
we welcome you here. Don't forget themanchurch.com. You can go there and find even more uh, you know, things you can use at home. Right now, if you use the, the code GROW, you get 10% off uh, the How to Be a Man devotionals, uh, one or two, the youth and adults. Great time to do that with your, your kids at home, Dad, uh, especially I mean, if you have sons. But there's other resources that are there, and we have the Pursuit Curriculum. We have it in 40-week form. Uh, it has me speak, uh, teaching for 12 to 15 minutes, study guides. You can do that on Zoom. You can send out the link to the study guides to people in your group. You can do it uh, for yourself. Or if you want to buy them in five-week increments, you can do that as well. All that's at themanchurch.com, 10% off using the code GROW. All right, so, so we're, we're, we're opening up. And if you remember we left uh, uh, last week, uh, we, 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 we kind of jumped into 16 a little bit, but we didn't get too far. So we, we were at to chapter 16. We, we did verse 4a. We're going to start with, with 4b, and here's what it says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Now, that's, that's pretty straightforward from Jesus. He's saying that he had not told them much about the persecution, because remember, he just talked about the hatred of the world last week, and he's just finishing that thought as we go into to verse 4b. He said, I didn't tell you about this from the beginning because I was with you. I, I didn't talk that much about persecution because the persecution that we're facing now, I've been able to be with you, but I am now going to the cross which they don't understand that concept, and we'll get into this. Uh, but I want to go ahead. I just told you all this about persecution because you now, as I, I now will go to the cross, I will pay the debt for sin, I will go into the tomb, I will, I will come out of the tomb defeating eternal death, praise his holy name. I'll spend 40 more days preparing you for what's next. I'm going to ascend to the Father, and we're going to talk about that a lot today, and it's good that I go to the Father. So now when I go, the brunt of the persecution... Remember, they, they, hate, they hate us because they hate Jesus. He said, the brunt of the persecution uh, when I was here with you would come upon me, and you would kind of be lesser persecuted. But now that I'm going to the Father, you're going to receive the brunt of the persecution. And I didn't tell you that from the beginning because I was with you, but I tell you now. That makes sense? So now let's go to verse 5. Verse 5 says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and, and none of you asked me, where are you going? Uh, he says the question of where Jesus is going before now uh, was really nothing more than the, like picture like a child, you know, who he's got his dad and his dad has to go on some business trip and the dad comes in and he, and he wanted to spend some time with his dad and the dad says to his kids, hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to be gone for a while. Well, children have the attitude of I'm not going to ask dad why he's going or what he's doing. I really just want to spend a lot of time saying, dad, I don't want you to go. And, and that's the point he's making. Look, you guys, all you're doing right now is you seem to be concerned about what's going to happen to you and, where, and, and the, just the fact that I'm going, but you're not asking the right questions. You need to be asking me, where am I going? So what's happening is they're so self-absorbed, as we get sometimes, they're so self-absorbed with their own sadness, and they haven't really asked the correct question about his destination. Uh, all, all they hear right now is you're leaving. Period. And he says, so you're not asking the right question. You're not asking me my destination. So, uh, so now let's look at uh, verses 6 and 7. Verses, verses 6 and 7, he says this, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Okay, there's a lot in here. A lot in here. So no doubt they're sad and they're grieving. 
We got it. Uh, they, they, they have been with Jesus. They don't fully comprehend who Jesus is. They cannot get this theme of the cross and the resurrection completely foreign to them. And he says, I understand that you're heartbroken. And he says, but I have to remind you that what I'm doing, I'm doing for your own good. And I want you to know for all of us that have been redeemed or if you're someone who, who is pursuing redemption, what Jesus is saying to you, just like he said to the disciples, what I'm about to do, you may have a moment of sadness, but it is for your own good that I am going, that I'm going to the cross and that I'm going to go to the Father because um, uh, now that, the, you know, the, and I don't want you to misunderstand this because I, I even got a little confused about this. Is Jesus somehow saying that our triune God can't work systematically together? You know, three, uh, one God, three persons? Is he saying that, that somehow there's power limited if I stay here and the Holy Spirit comes? Because the helper he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. So they can't work in sync together. He's not saying that at all. What, what, what he is saying is that, uh, that, that the death on the cross and the resurrection will now restore the Son to his proper place at the right hand of the Father to enjoy the glory he once had before the world began. So what, what was for the disciples, their, their own good, is also what's, like I said, it's for our own good too because now, remember, if you go through prophecy, Remember what we say, Adrian Rogers, cheapest pen, writing pen, is, is going to be more valuable to you than your greatest memory because I'm going to ask you to write down some, some prophetic verses from the Old Testament that promised that this time of the Holy Spirit would be the beginning of the kingdom of God. So this is a big moment that's coming up. Uh, so, so write down these verses, and when you have some more time today, and boy, don't we have it, you can go back and study this yourself. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, Isaiah 32, 14 through 18, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, Isaiah 44, 1 through 5. All right, you got all those from Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, 32, 14 through 18, 42, 1 through 4, 44, 1 through 5. Now let's go to Ezekiel. He talked about this as well. Ezekiel 11, 17 through 20. 36, 24, and 23, 37, 1 through 14. So in Ezekiel, chapter 11, 17 through 20, chapter 36, 24 through 27. I'm sorry, I said 23. And then 37, 1 through 14. Now to Joel. You can go to Joel as well. He, he talks about this. Chapter 2, 28 through 32. Joel, chapter 2, 28 to 32. So they all prophesied that this was going to happen, that the kingdom of God is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now our triune God, everybody in their proper place, now being poured out in its fullest, which we're going to really land on that today. So there was this anticipation, see, when the Holy Spirit is released, that it will it'll characterize the age of the kingdom of God. Until the cross and resurrection happens, uh, that cannot be. So the cross and the resurrection now fully redeems us back to God and now gives us access back to the power that was limited. We also know that Jesus, we talked about this, limited some of his glory by becoming 100% man, the son of man and the son of God. Now the, the, the son of man part is completed. He's fully son of God, fully back to his place at the right hand of the Father. And now the Holy Spirit uh, will now come and will pour out uh, the entire power of God on all of us. 
And that couldn't happen to this level until we had the cross and the resurrection. And that's that point you hear me make a lot, and I don't want you to miss it. Pentecost transformed that limitation. Pentecost removed the limitations. So everything that we talk about, listen, don't miss this. I think this is where we see one of the biggest failures uh, in, in, in the personal redemption of human beings, people who do not experience that new creation that the Bible says should happen, is we spend too much time thinking that, that we should look like the disciples in the church before Pentecost. And that's incorrect. That, that, that's a lower standard. I mean, but when Pentecost happens, everything changes. And why? Because now any limitation of experiencing the power of God has now been removed. And so what that means now is that limitation of redemption, redemption plan is now complete, and millions of people are, are now, you know, they have been ignoring the claims of the true God. The new covenant breaks that limitation, and many uh, you know, now will start being saved by repenting of sin, submitting to Christ, growing in obedience. Remember we talked about this back on chapter 14, uh, by the power of the Spirit. And, uh, and, and then, of course, we'll talk more about fruitfulness coming up here in a minute. So let me say this to you. And I know some of you, when you first hear this, you may, you may, you may push back a little bit, but I don't want you to. He said it was good for the disciples that he go and the Holy Spirit be poured out on his church. I'm going to tell you this. It is better for you and me to be living in the time that we're living in than to have actually been somebody that walked around with Jesus when he was uh, 100% man and 100% God. Now, I know I can hear you right now. Rick, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, that limitation was still there. It, it, it was a game changer when he went back to his proper place at the right hand of the Father. You have more access to the power of God now than you would have had if you'd been walking around with Jesus the person. He said, it's good that I go. And when he went, we got the Holy Spirit. And it's, you have more access to the power of God today than you would have had then. It's good that I go. Good for them, good for us. So, so, so how about this? It is better for us to be on the other side of Pentecost. Somebody say amen. But we walk around and we seem to be living our lives as if we're still under the limitations. Who are all these people? I used to be one. Look, right here. I used to be one walking around claiming that I was a Christian and I lived in perpetual sin. I, 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 and, and how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. I wasn't really redeemed. Because you might could have looked and said, well, that, you know, he, he looks a lot like people, but not after Pentecost. I've had access to a transformation power, a transforming power that I was not accessing, and that was simply because I was a cultural Christian. Like I said before, I had a demonic faith. I just believed the concepts of Jesus. But I certainly didn't have any power to uh, access to the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at, uh, at chapter 8. That changed in 1996 when I got it, when I submitted to the authority of Christ I repented of my sin. I said, I don't know how to love you. I see where you say, if I love you, I'll obey you. I, I know you love me. I've always known that because I, I believe what happened on the cross. I believe in the resurrection. Okay? I believe all these things about you, but I don't know you. We do not have a personal relationship. Uh, I know you love me. I'm submitting to your authority. I'm confessing you as Lord. I'm repenting of my sins. Now you teach me to love you. And when I love you, then I'll see obedience and fruitfulness flow from, from the power of you. And I mean, we're going to get more into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so let's go to chapter 8. Is anybody fired up? Huh? Let's go. I mean, what a great time right now to grow in Christ and to advance his kingdom. Let's please don't waste this. So when he comes, now Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. 
And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, Also, he's going to uh, convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. So what all is he saying here? The Holy Spirit will now come and it will convict the world as it did at Pentecost and continues to do. It, it, will, it will convict the world of sin. It will convict the world of, of, of the wrong kind of righteousness and the, and the requirement of righteousness. And it will also convict the world about judgment. Number one, what does he mean? How does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin? That was pretty easy. Uh, the world uh, does not believe in Jesus. If they did, they would have accepted their need for his redemption. Therefore, the Holy Spirit now comes in and, con- and condemns us and convicts us that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. It convicts us of, of sin. The Holy Spirit attempts to convict us of that sin and say, right now you have to understand, you stand before God, Holy Spirit. That, remember, what, what's, what's in his name? Holy. Holy Spirit now stands here, and the holiness of God is before sinful man. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does says, I, I, you, do you not feel your condemnation? I mean, you're condemned in your sin, so let me convict you of that sin, so then you can respond with repentance and then be completely redeemed. And then the Holy Spirit gives us that confirmation, you know, that peace that we have been redeemed. So the Holy Spirit, first of all, convicts us of sin, shows us that we're condemned without redemption in Jesus. It gives us clarity of our situation. Uh, so what else does it do? He says that it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, convict us of, of, of self-righteousness. It's going to convict us of, of being religious and self-righteous, uh, of the incorrect assumption that we are righteous at all. So when Jesus goes to the Father and, 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 return, and, and turns the full power of God out on us, through the Holy Spirit, you know, we realize we're not very righteous at all. <laughs> we're not very righteous at all. How dare any of us claim that we're righteous? The only way we're made righteous is through the redemption that is provided in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit sets the record straight on that. What's the next thing that Jesus said he'll do? He says he'll also convict the world by judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of a false judgment about ourselves, false judgment comes from the prince of lies. He, it, you know, he now stands condemned by the triumph of the cross. The world is condemned, and you know what? Needs to know it. So what, is, what does it mean by he convicts us of judgment? How many times I live this way? I, I look back, and I don't even know how this happened. When I was living in perpetual you know, sin, deliberate sin, um, it's almost like I had some kind of false reality that, uh, that I was not under judgment. Uh, you know why? Because the prince of lies and my flesh kept telling me it's not that bad. It's really okay. You're going to be fine. You know what the Holy Spirit convicts us of? No, you're not. You're not okay. Uh, if, if you if you are living in sin, it's not okay. Sin always matters. And so uh, the Holy Spirit brings the judgment of God down and the clarity of I stand under judgment, so I need to be redeemed. So the Holy Spirit's job is to certainly empower us once we've been redeemed. But Jesus said, I'll tell you, the first thing he's going to do is to get the world in line and give them a reality about their sin situation, give them a reality about their lack of righteousness, and they're going to give them a reality about the judgment of God that is coming of those that remained unredeemed. And, 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 and how about this? The, the judgment that is coming down that because of what Satan did, when Jesus goes to the cross, he will defeat 
Satan. He'll take away the authority of the prince of the earth and the prince of the air. He'll walk out of the tomb resurrected, and he'll take this, this condemnation and this judgment that Satan brought on the world, and he'll come back and say, I'm giving this back to all humankind, everybody who's repented and are redeemed. I'm giving back the power to you, the righteousness that my Father gave you before the fall in the garden. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It is good that Jesus went. So let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, I, ha- I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This doesn't mean that there are things about uh, you know, Jesus that, that they haven't been taught, uh, but, but, but as God spoke through the prophets, here's what he's saying. Now, uh, you know, it, went, it goes like this. Picture this, and I, this is me having to get in my own uh, Calhoun County uh, common sense way to understand some deep scripture. He's saying, all right, look, there was a time when God spoke through the prophets. Okay, then there's been the time that I've been here that he has spoke through me. Now that I go, the time now will be that he will speak through the Holy Spirit. That's how he's going to speak now through the Holy Spirit. And and this is what we have to understand. Very important as you look at false teachers and false religions, some of them parading around like they're another denomination of Christianity, and they're not. This is not, he's not saying that, the prophets gave you a revelation, I gave you a revelation, and now the Holy Spirit's going to come give you a new revelation. No, it's a continuation of the same revelation the whole time. He's just saying it's not finished yet. Now the Holy Spirit takes you to the next stage of the same revelation that we've been talking about since the fall of mankind. It's a continuation of the revelation. I really, and forgive me, Lord, if this, if this, I don't mean this to be disrespectful, really it's like our triune God is is a relay team. Uh, I've spoke to the prophets. You know now the now the now the the, the the you know they take the is it a wand? What do they call this thing? And they hand it. My wife ran sprints. They they take this baton. baton. They take the baton and they hand it to Jesus. Jesus takes the baton and he he, go, he runs it what he's supposed to, and then he hands it to the Holy Spirit. But it's all the same God. It's just the way he's revealing himself is is through the three persons. And now it's time for the Holy Spirit. And that's where we are. We're, we're and, and, and clarity comes with the Holy Spirit as well. He's just confirming the things that Jesus was already teaching. It is not, it is not a new revelation. It is now the revelation in the Holy Spirit that the plan of redemption is now complete. Got it? Got it? Okay, good. All right, verse 13. I couldn't believe I couldn't come up with time. Uh, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is just another name for the Holy Spirit, You'll see in some of the translations, he's called the helper, he's called the counselor, uh, he's called the spirit of truth, and here it is, the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak uh, of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So so what what does this mean? In truth, Jesus is the truth, and now the Holy Spirit will guide them into all the implications of that truth. The revelation is completely bound up and, com- and completed in Jesus Christ. There is no other truth now uh, that, that, that they will unpack. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit will take everything I've taught you, and he'll show you all the implications of it. He will unpack a deeper understanding of the truth. The Spirit will now let them know what is to come, uh, more of, of you know, helping them to understand what they have experienced and the significance of it to get it right. But he says more to come. Now the Holy Spirit's going to say, here's what Jesus taught you. Here's why he taught you this. 
Now you're going to have clarity and understanding. Man, if you don't see that in the Bible, how many times in this Bible study, when we went through the, uh, the study of the, of the book of Acts, and if you're new to our Bible study, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, uh, click on Listen, and you can go back through our study of Acts, or you can go to this uh, YouTube channel if you're watching, the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, and look on the playlist. You'll see the videos of our study of Acts. Uh, but, uh, but, but you can walk through that. One of the things we talked about is the game changer of, Acts, uh, of, of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 4, we see that the level of what redemption looks like is raised. Why is it raised? They're, they got it now. Why have they got it? Because of the Holy Spirit. You know, like these glasses I'm wearing, if you're watching on YouTube. I mean, it's one thing for me to look at the Bible right now. I can't see it really good, but I take the, these glasses, the Holy Spirit, and I look down, and now, hey, these, this truth has been taught, but now the Holy Spirit's helping me to understand it and apply it fully. And then to also be sure I understand what I'm supposed to do. You never see the disciples get Jesus wrong again after Pentecost. It doesn't happen. Their, their whole attitude has changed. What does it say in, in 4? Instead of running for and denying that they're with Jesus, what does 4 say? They recognize that they were with Jesus. May that be the same truth about you and me. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables that to be the truth. I, I think too many times uh, we, when we studied Dallas Willard, he taught us the same thing in the spirit of the disciplines. And that was a very difficult Bible study. But the thing he kept on driving home, and I totally agree, is I think too many times, especially the American church, we are selling the power of the gospel way too low. And what have we said at themanchurch.com about men's ministry? Those of you that are men that are watching this and the men that come here, I think we are to tell men the truth, and you would see them much more committed to the faith. Following Jesus is difficult. The standard is very high. The power of the Holy Spirit demands uh, a life change. It demands obedience. It demands fruitfulness. And, and, it, and we enter through a narrow gate, Matthew 7, and the path is very hard. Only a few people do it. Most men are not man enough to follow Jesus. And see, we don't do that. What we do is we, we have men come into the churches that are designed for women and children, and all they're ever told is that, the, that there's a bunch of grace abuse that goes on in here. Nobody ever really changes, and, and, and it's okay. God still loves us, and everything's going to be okay, but you really never see victory over anything. And that is not what the gospel says, and it certainly is not what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And we're on the other side of Pentecost. Our standard starts at Pentecost and goes on. That's who we're supposed to be. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. So let's go to verse 13. Uh, when, when the spirit of truth comes, uh, I'm sorry, I've already done that one, and I've walked through all that. Okay, so what he's talking about is that um, in, in 14 and 15, let's get to that. Uh, he will glorify me. That's, that's the main role of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, and then let's look at 15. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. So let's get this, the central role. If somebody said, hey, Rick, can you put the Holy Spirit in a nutshell? And I would say, okay, in a nutshell, the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. That's his job. Um, Jesus bought that, uh, brought the glory to his Father. The Holy Spirit brings the glory to the Son. So Jesus said, this is really cool. So Jesus said, if you remember all the things we've learned up to this point, I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here to glorify my Father. Uh, and we know the Father said, you have glorified me, and you will continue to glorify me. Remember when we studied that? He got the approval of the Father. Well, the Holy Spirit now takes the role of saying, as Jesus glorified the Father, I now glorify Jesus. 
Now, now, yes, it's all one God, which means the power of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit completely is poured out, but it is three persons, one God. Jesus said, I'm here to glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit says, I'm here to glorify Jesus. And, 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 and so that means, that it, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is passing on, uh, you know, uh, what Jesus declares. It means that, that all the, 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 res, the, re, the revelations bound up in Jesus are now, and I love this term, and I saw this D.A. Carson did a commentary on John. He said, if you look at what these verses are saying, the entire power of God the Father and God the Son will now be bound up by the Holy Spirit uh, and, the, and then will take the entire power of the triune God. No more limitations. Limitations were broken at Pentecost. He will take the, the presence and the power of God and he will now press it upon the disciples. Ooh, and, and, and what does that mean? It, then, then that ability for it to be pressed upon Rick Burgess and pressed upon put your name here is available to you. And if you have not been radically changed and the Holy Spirit has not pressed that power onto you, then something's wrong with your relationship between you and, and, and God. Something's wrong because that should be there. And I'm going to tell you, for somebody who lived as a believer, a cultural Christian, I did not see that power pressed upon me. When I finally got it right and I repented and, sub repented and submitted to the authority of Jesus and, and became submitted to his authority, I, I confessed him as Lord. I totally submitted. I was broken, and I confessed my sin, and I said, I don't know anything. I just want you to change me. And my heart was sincere. The power of God was pressed upon me in a way I'd never experienced before. And it continues to happen because now I'm working out. I'm being sanctified so the power of God continues to be given to me, and I see victory over sin in my life because the sanctification process just continues to press upon that power. The power of God is more upon me now than it was a year ago, not because of anything that I've done other than seeking Jesus, but because the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is actually real. That's all. It's just real. So that's what he is uh, he's talking about to them for what they should get ready. He says, what is mine... Remember, is nothing less. You know, he talks about, uh, therefore, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What, it, what does he mean by what is mine? Really, remember what Jesus said. It's really not, nothing less than he says, I tell you what was mine is the revelation of the Father himself. Jesus said, all that belongs to the Father is mine. To, uh, to honor the Son is to also to honor the Father. So he says, the Holy Spirit is going to give you, you the ability to take what is mine. What is that? The uh, Glorifying the Father. And I, how about this? He's now going to give you access to, to what is mine. I'm going to give it to you too. I mean, th do you realize the power that this is talking about? And I guess the question you and I have to ask each other, do we have that power? Do you see this? Do you see this in your life? I know for a long period of time I, I, could, I, I could sadly say that I could not. So now let's go to 16. Now comes a transition. So at this point, Jesus Christ has described the Holy Spirit and what we should expect extremely clear, uh, clear, clearly. And he says what? It's good that I go because when he goes, he returns back to the proper glory. The limitations of 100% man are gone. The 100% man did pay the price because he was the perfect lamb on the cross. He did walk out of the tomb and he's it, it, the resurrection. He's uh, going to ascend to the Father. Okay, he's ascending to the Father. And now the Holy Spirit will bring all the power of the triune God and make it available to all who are redeemed and repent. Okay, so now we transition to his actual departure. 
okay? He says, a, a, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you, and then again, in a little while, you will see me. Uh, now, now, I know, stay with me. So we're transitioning to Jesus' departure. Little while, most believe, refers to the small period of time from the time he's going to go to the cross, he will die on the cross, and then to the resurrection. So what Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about there's going to be a bigger departure when he goes on to the Father at the ascension, you know, when we get to the book of Acts. What he's saying right now is understand there's going to be this little moment when you're really going to have a lot of sorrow because I'm going to go to the cross and you're going to see me die. So in a little while, you will see me no more, but then in a little while, you'll see me again. Meaning I'm going to come back after the resurrection three days later and you're going to encounter me again. So 17 through 19, so, so listen to this. Here come the disciples acting like us. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. Uh, and then they continue. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And, of course, Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. Uh, and and he, he begins to, to clarify. So listen to what Jesus says in 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said, is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will see, you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? So, so Jesus is, is just saying, I understand what you guys are talking about, and I know you don't understand what I'm saying about this little while, and this is the reason why. They can't grasp the cross, and the resurrection. They just don't know it yet, and they can't figure it out, and they keep on saying, I, we, don't, we don't understand what you're talking about, about this little while we'll see, we won't see you, then a little while we will. You say you're going to the Father. They're acknowledging we are, this is not computing with us. We don't get it. So look, look what Jesus says in verse 20, because he, he clarifies that he knows what they're talking about, but look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. You know, during this time, isn't it good to hear that? Uh, There's going to be a time that you're going to be so grieved by my death on the cross, but you know what's going to happen soon after that? You're going to have so much joy at the resurrection. Uh, and I would just say to, to all of us right now, let, let's not forget the joy of the resurrection. Yes, it's true that Jesus had to go to the cross, and the cross was awful, uh, but he's not on the cross anymore. It was awful that Jesus had to die and suffer for you and me, but that's over. Yes, it's wonderful at Christmas to talk about the baby Jesus, but the baby Jesus is over. And, and that's the reason why in times like this, the limitations that God allowed for himself to be put through, they are over. Jesus is back to where he's supposed to be even during a pandemic. Jesus has not left the right hand of the Father, and the Father has not left his position on the throne. Let me assure you that we are going through some sorrow, and we are lamenting, and we may be grieving. But you have to know this. Don't picture that, that somewhere in the throne room that an angel has run into the room and said, Father, Son, you're not going to believe what's happening down on the earth. There's a pandemic. Did you hear about this? No, they're not lamenting about this at all. 
and they haven't left their place. And we need to remember that we're on the other side of the resurrection and the biggest problem that we have has been resolved. And it's not always going to be like this. Our sorrow will turn to joy. Do you believe that? Because it's true. It's absolutely true. Praise his holy name. So he clarifies this for him. Look at 21. In verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has a sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Look, there's a struggle for joy. Hey, in a fallen creation, there's a struggle for joy. But there's those little moments when God reveals himself, like all the anxiety and fear. And, and of course, when a woman's going through labor and, and birth pains, and sometimes the struggles of pregnancy, he says, but all that sorrow is quickly forgotten when the baby's here. It's forgotten. You forget what it took to get to this joyful moment. But joy always requires struggle. It always does. And Jesus says, but joy is coming. Salvation has come. And he's telling them that in a little while, the labor pains are going to look bad. I'm going to be on that cross, and I'm going to, it's going to look really, really bad. And you're going to be in anguish. But you have to know that when I walk out of that tomb and you see me resurrected, the baby has come. The new covenant is here. Salvation has come. And here's the good news. Just like you always remember when your children, if you have children, when they were born, we need to always remember the cross and the resurrection. The cross, birth pains, the resurrection, joy. The baby's here. Salvation has come. And we know that's happening about when he returns to get his church. What did he say? Nobody knows the day and nobody, no man knows the hour. But just like you don't know when a baby is going to be born, you certainly see what labor looks like. So when you see those birth pains, like we're seeing now, prepare because I'll be coming soon. I'll, and, and, and your sorrow will be turned to joy. You're not going to care about the pandemic when Jesus comes back or if you die and you're going into his presence. The only people that need to fear this pandemic are those of you that are not sure you've been redeemed. Yes, you should be very afraid of it because you don't have that joy. All you've got is anxiety and fear. You know what God is showing you? How quickly the attempt to make heaven here on earth can be taken away like that. Everything you thought was so sure, not so sure now. That's why it's got to be something more than this earth. Do you think that my joy about salvation has been rattled over pandemic? It hasn't because it hasn't changed anything about my salvation. It hasn't, it hasn't changed anything about the resurrection. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So let's go to verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I love that. Once they see the resurrection, <laughs> nobody was ever, to take, ever, ever able to take away their joy. It's the, it's the completion of the new covenant, and the burden is over. We have been delivered from our sin. And if you have some, uh, write this down to Isaiah 66, 14. Isaiah 66, 14. 
Isaiah talks about when salvation comes, our heart will rejoice. And you know, once those disciples got it right and they understood, nobody could ever take their joy away again. I mean, they, they went, they were martyred joyfully. And you know, you go back through Josephus and some of those writings, Peter himself, the guy who ran from, from Jesus, who, who cussed at a young girl by the fire when she said, you're one of his. He went from there when he got the Holy Spirit. He would never deny Jesus again and, and was joyful all the way to being crucified upside down because the joy of his redemption, the joy of the resurrection, the joy that everything was made right between him and a holy God through his friend Jesus could never be taken away from him. And that's what he's talking about. You're going to be sorrowful, but once you get this, it'll never be taken away from you again. Let's go to verse 23. Verse 23, In that day you'll ask, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Uh, and then, and then uh, let's go 23, and we'll go to, to 24 as well. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So, so what is he talking about here? Um, it certainly does not refer to the end times. He's talking about the death and the resurrection, you know, and, and remember this, the death and the resurrection, when people talk about end times, the death and the resurrection certainly is the end of history because everything up to that point, uh, you know, falls under the old covenant. The new covenant is here, and we will ask the Father in Jesus' name. Now, when he says you'll ask in my name, this, if you look at the, the Greek word here, it really is the Greek word for you'll ask questions, and my Father will give you the answers. It's not really the Greek word like some of people misunderstand and blaspheme this by thinking this means we ask God for a list of things we want. That's not what this word means. It means now I've connected you to the Father before you did. You, you, the, your, you, your pleadings to the Father and you're asking for clarity to the Father, everything wasn't clear because it wasn't complete now. Now, after I go to the cross and I, and I come back after the resurrection, and when I ascend to the Father, I'm there at the right hand of the Father, you'll now ask things in my name, and then I will, of course, be the mediator between you and the Father. They, they will, of course, ask Jesus you know, things, but now they have the ability to ask the Father directly through Jesus. And, and if you look down, write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And you've even seen the Pope, and I won't go any further with that, but you've seen the Pope recently said, during all this quarantine, you can just ask God directly about forgiveness of your sin. Well, there's a concept. That's exactly what Paul told Timothy, that we have one mediator between us and the Father, only one. One mediator. You don't have a human being that mediates between you and the Father. You have Jesus. We have one mediator, and, and, and he gives us access to the Father. So let's talk about how many of you like the movie The Matrix? So we're getting close to being over. You like The Matrix? So listen to this. So the joy has now made The Matrix perfect. What's, what matrix are you talking about? Listen, it's a matrix of consistent obedience, which comes from remaining in Jesus' love and his word. Fruitfulness springs forth from prayer and the connection to the vine that we talked about in, in 15, the power comes from the vine. Jesus is the true vine, which comes, also gives us access to the Father. So the joy is asking for the power 
to bear fruit. And there was a time you could ask that all day long. Give me the power to bear fruit. But now you can actually, that the matrix has been complete, you can actually ask for the power to be fruitful and get it. And actually get it. It's complete. Sure, you'll have some sorrow. Sure, you'll have some difficulty. But then you're going to rejoice in the joy that you now have because of me completing the task and providing the new covenant and providing redemption for sin, but more than that, also providing the power for you to be obedient and for you to bear fruit. So based on these scriptures, if my life does not have any indication of obedience or fruitfulness, then something is wrong. As we said in 15, we're not connected to the vine. Something is wrong. Jesus said, it's good that I go because now comes the ability to be fruitful. Now comes the ability to have clarity. Now comes the ability to have access to the full power of God. That's how people are born again. That's how people become a new creation. And we've got to start talking about that again. What is the gospel? Repent. Repent of sin. All of this was done to, you know, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, remember our study of Romans? He didn't go to the cross and pay the price for sin and walk out of the tomb to give us the freedom to sin. He did all that to free us from sin and then to point us to a life of, of holiness. <gasps> holiness, it's in the Bible a lot, obedience and fruitfulness. Those are the signs of the redeemed. Perfection? No. Progress? Yes. Looking just like the unredeemed? No. Jesus is too powerful for that. He said, it's good that I go. The standard of what it looks like to be redeemed in the age that we now live, the church age, is really a high one. Not because of our great self-control and our great code of conduct and how wonderful we are. I mean, Adrian Rogers said it again, I wouldn't take my best 15 minutes and present it before a holy God. But we don't have to, because if you've been redeemed, you know who presents you before a holy God? Jesus. Rick, you don't have to be perfect. Yes, you do. If you're not perfect, you can't come in the presence of a holy God. So who makes us fully righteous? Not partially righteous, fully righteous. Jesus. So it's good that he went. And he put, poured that power out on us. But we're going to be all right. I didn't say we're not going to struggle, but we're going to be all right. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be some reassuring voice. I'm saying that because I have faith in what the scriptures say. You know what the scriptures say? We'll get into this next week. Because we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper. We'll, we'll go 16, 25, all the way to one of the greatest verses of all time in 33. I'm not telling you that it's going to be all right because I'm trying to make you feel better today. I'm telling you it's going to be all right for the redeemed. I got no promises for the unredeemed. I just don't because you're not under the, you're not under the protection of Jesus. You, you may even not have COVID-19, but you've got the sin virus, and you, haven't, you have not taken the cure, and that's the redemption found in Jesus. So I got no promises for you 
other than you can be redeemed and you can experience that joy. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. You're in equal need of redemption just like every one of us. You're probably not as in need of redemption as, as I was. I was a terrible, terrible person. But I'm redeemed. And because of that, then everything really is going to be all right. To live as Christ, to die as gain. But I also don't want to sit here lazy going, well, I hope you'll just kill me so all this will be over and I won't have to deal with all this. No, I've got a wife. I have children. I have, I have people that, um, that I believe that God has given me work. So I'm not ready for the work to be over because if it's over now, then there's people that are in my sphere of influence that will die and go to hell. So I have work to do. Do I want to get back to work? Yes. Has God said the things you were doing, I'm going to slow your life down? He has. Why did he slow my life down? I guess I needed it. In this I rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, I've been grieved by various trials. And as the testedness of this faith we talk about, and this power that we just learned about in our study of the Gospel of John, these are the times that we finally get our paper back from the teacher. And it either says we passed the test or we failed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for this incredible study today uh, of your word. I'm so glad that I'm living in this time. I'm so glad that you have uh, given us access to your full power and that we live in the church age that has the Holy Spirit poured out upon us. I think about my youngest son that just prayed this week to you. Thank you, Lord, for turning our world upside down. I thank you for that, too. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to, to give us the grace and mercy that we don't deserve because you love us in a way that we can't even comprehend. And we can never repay the debt that we owe. But thank you for paying it for us. And may we find the best way to say thank you is through our fruitfulness, our obedience, and our unwavering faith. And we pray these things just as we've been instructed to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for being with us. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.